Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Easter season. We are two weeks out, and I just kind of had to make um, a, a claim that I think is super important about Easter, uh, and it's this. Um, jelly beans are overrated. They, they are. Okay, I, I, did, I did hear some rumblings. I will give you these Starburst jelly beans, mind you. Yes, those are different, and they are better, but the superior Easter candy is the Reese's egg. Okay, I almost got booed off the stage for service, all right? When I came out with, with the jelly beans and the Easter egg, I, it was a completely flipped. So second service, you're my people for right now, okay? I know I get some flack for alleging to one service or the other, uh, but Reese's eggs are the superior candy. And in my family, primarily, my mom loves Easter baskets. So every year since I was this tall, I guess you could say, I couldn't even get that word out, I was getting Easter baskets, and I, it was, I loved it so much. It was awesome. It was my favorite thing in the world. But as I got older, I realized Easter is more than just Reese's eggs, although Reese's eggs are amazing, right? Like there is just a little bit something more to Easter. And I'm excited to jump into that for the next few weeks because Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross the Friday before Easter Sunday, there were seven different phrases or things he said in his time on the cross. If you look at the four gospels in the Bible, which are the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books in the New Testament, uh, there are, you kind of piece together some things he says from different accounts, but you sum it up and there are seven things that Jesus says right before he dies. And I'm going to look at these for the next few weeks because they're so, so insightful as to the heart of who Jesus is, but it made me think there's a little known model or philosophy that has kind of been passed to me as a pastor. I'll never forget, I was early on in my ministry, I was fresh out of Bible college, and I was preparing a wedding ceremony. Okay, this is my second wedding, but I call it the first real wedding because the, my first wedding was literally like 10 people. I was the officiant and the best man, which was kind of fun. Like it was just a unique experience. But this second wedding was like the whole shebang, 200. 150 people, formal ceremony, suit and tie, the whole thing. And I remember just like sitting there like a puddle of sweat and stress because I was like, oh, I do not want to say the wrong word. I do not want to mess this up or everyone's going to remember this forever and I'm going to be the loser who doesn't know what he's doing. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like just kind of typing away, going crazy, the, the tension you could cut with the knife. And this pastor friend of mine walks in and goes, what has you spun up? And I'm like, I'm preparing a wedding. And he starts laughing at me, like, like hysterically laughing. I'm like, are, are you sick? Like, what's wrong? Like, why are you laughing at me? And he, he says, let me give you a piece of advice, all right? No one is going to remember a single thing you say at that entire wedding. And I'm like, so why am I sitting here doing this? He goes, that's why I'm laughing. I don't know why you're stressed out. And he said that, though, and I remembered thinking, there's so much truth to that. Like, no offense to my uncle, but he's the one who, who married my wife and I. I couldn't tell you a word he said because all I was thinking is like, 
wow, I I outkicked my punt coverage on this one. Like, how in the world did we get here? She's beautiful. She's amazing. And thank goodness this thing is permanent because when she sees me dance here in a little bit, it's all over. But I seriously could not tell you one word that my uncle said to us when he was officiating our wedding because I was so focused on the beautiful, amazing woman right in front of me. You'll have to ask her what she thought because she might have been a little bit more distracted. There wasn't as much to look at on that side. But when you flip that around, because I I was like, he said that to me, like, don't worry about what to say at weddings. No one's going to remember what you say. I'm like, oh, I felt like the weight come off. And then he goes, but just hold on. I'm like, you had me, man. I was all calmed down. Now you're saying, but wait, there's more. But he looked at me, he went from like laughing to like looking at me super seriously. He goes, but just remember at a funeral, everybody remembers every word you say. And I was thinking, gee, thanks, no pressure, all right? Like, I, I do not want to do a funeral, but when I did my first funeral, I experienced that. Because in that moment, the, the weight and the grief that comes with death is palpable, it's tangible. And I've realized over time that, that there's so much truth to that, that what you say at a funeral is of the utmost importance, not because you have to get it right, not because you have to just nail it out of the park and look like you know what you're doing, but you have to say it right. Because in that moment, you need the hope that comes with it. You need something to grab a hold of. And so, you know, a lot of people would think, well, you must love weddings then. And I do. And you must really hate funerals. And I actually say you're actually wrong. I prefer funerals. People are so confused by that. But here's what I will say about a funeral is I have sat next to a hospital bed with someone who was ailing. I've sat next to a hospice bed. I've sat in the living room of someone who just passed. And I have to tell you, as as, as sitting through all of those things, the words and the things that are exchanged in those last moments are infinitely heartbreaking and infinitely beautiful at the same time. Because what is said is going to stick with you forever. The last words that are uttered by that person who is ailing, you will never forget. And sometimes they're superficial and super funny. Like, it's like I, I've been a part of situations where it's like I'm literally sitting at the hospital bed and this person was, was in a, uh, a coma. And so they were kind of, they, they were in and out. And so in the hospital, uh, this person was kind of like, you know, grabbing their hand and, you know, he kind of comes out of this state and he kind of like opens his eyes and looks up to the person next to him and he pulls his mask on and he goes, I got to pee. And I'm like, <sighs> like, you just feel like the whole room is kind of like de-escalate and they just laugh. But it was so on par with that person's personality that it just, it was so, so fitting. But I've also been at situations where the final phrase that's said from father to son or from spouse to spouse, or grandparent to grandkid, those last words that are said are literally life-changing. Because in that moment, all the superficial, all the stuff that doesn't really, really matter is not important. What's important is what I'm about to say. And you cling on to it, and you hold on to it, and it's so powerful to be a part of. 
So when I think about Jesus, the greatest teacher, the greatest person to ever live, having his last words, his famous last words, I want to look at what those were. Because if the last words that someone says are of the utmost importance, I want to know what he had to say. So let's take a look at it. If you guys are ready, I'm ready. Let's jump right into this thing. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, him being Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Let me just get everybody caught up to speed really quick. When the earth was created, you had God the Father, you had God the Son, who was Jesus, and then God the Holy Spirit, who is God living inside of us. And so from the beginning, God was there. But in John chapter 3, we find out that the reason that Jesus, the Son of God, came to the earth in John chapter 3 was, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Jesus came to earth so that he would take our sin upon us. He lived a perfect, spotless life. He did not make one mistake of sin. He was perfect because he needed to be for us. And that is why he came. And so what ends up happening is when we pick up here in Luke chapter 23, even though he was perfect, even though he was sinless, the religious people of the time thought he was a fake, that he was just a blasphemous teacher, which means he was not speaking truth. And so what ended up happening is in Luke chapter 23, just before we read that verse, Jesus was beat and whipped and mocked. They took a crown of thorns, these nasty, sharp thorns, made a crown, said, ha, you you think you're king of the Jews? We'll be king for you. They ripped his clothes off. They danced in front of him. They put the crown of thorns on him. And they said, who's the king now? And then they make him carry his cross up to this hill and eventually nail him to the cross right in the middle for everybody to see for him to be made a spectacle in front of everybody with a criminal on each side. And what's so awful about this whole thing, as I'm not getting into crazy amounts of detail because it is gruesome, but this whole process called the crucifixion, the church word you hear a lot, but just crucifixion was this practice that the Roman soldiers who were running the country at the time mastered. They're like, how can we, for the criminals, instead of throwing them in jail and just letting them sit down in the dungeon, how can we stick it to them? How can we make them suffer and torture them physically for as long as humanly possible? And they came up with the cross because they could inflict as much pain for as long as possible before the person died to really, really make it stick. It was twisted. It was evil. It was ludicrous and nasty. And so here Jesus is, this perfect being, this perfect man. He's being treated like a criminal, literally surrounded by criminals on each side. And so in Luke chapter 23, as he's hanging there, the first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth that's recorded in the Bible is, Father, forgive 
them. Famous last words of an innocent man. Father, forgive him. And when I first read this, when I was first early on in my faith, I always thought that Jesus was talking to the two criminals behind him. Like Jesus, or, for, or God, just, just forgive them. I know they screwed up. I know they messed up. Forgive them. But when you look at this text and you look at the context of it, what he's essentially saying is all the people on the ground, all the people making fun of me, all the people beating me, all the people that are yelling at me and saying, crucify him, kill him, forgive them. And as, as staggering of a statement, as, as crazy as a thing as that is, it's also not out of character for Jesus. Because if you back up three years earlier in Matthew chapter 5, early on in his ministry, Jesus is just getting going in, in this thing called ministry where people come around, he would heal people. What happens is in Matthew chapter 5, he's on this nice little countryside. And he delivers this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, where he basically is saying, here's all the things I'm going to teach you really quick. And really quick, it was like hours on end. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to keep you that long, at least not without feeding you. But basically, he's on this mountain and he's teaching people, here's what you need to do to live a full and fulfilling life, one that honors God and loves people. He's, he's downloading this with them. And so on this nice, quiet countryside where things are going well and people are just genuinely tuned in to who Jesus is and what he's saying, he says this, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's really easy to love people that are easy to love, like your pastor. He's awesome. He great, he's got great messages. He dresses really nice. You just, he always gives you a nice smile. And he, you love to just love him by giving him Dr. Pepper and a hug and all these different things, right? It's easy to love your pastor, okay? No, but it's also easy to love, like in all honesty, it's easy to love those that are easy to love. Your neighbors, when they blow out your, your, your driveway because it's been snowing for 80 inches all winter, it's a lot easier to drop off like a, a box of cookie sim and say, hey, thank you so much, or a quick trip gift card. It's easy to show kindness back to them because they show kindness to you, right? It's really easy to love your friends who you can laugh with and have a good time with and just be normal and watch sports in the garage and solve the world's problems. It's easy to love those people. Sometimes they're annoying, but it's easy to love them overall. You know what's also really easy? Hating the ones you hate. You have enemies. You do. There are people in your life, I guarantee you, just rub you the wrong way. And these are the people that you're just like, oh, why are you the way that you are? I can't stand being around you. And you've told them as much, maybe. It's really easy if you're being truly transparent with yourself. It is really easy easy to hate your enemies, to say something to them that's hurtful, to, to comment something on their Facebook or do something virtual, to disassociate them from, from them entirely because you can't stand being around them. It's easy to do those things. But Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
This is one of those statements that like sounds really cool and easy and simple and just kind of like, I need to like put this on a poster and put this in my office. But if you're being really honest with yourself, this is really tough to walk out. This is really tough to love those that are hard to love. It's really tough to pray for someone who is trying to take you out. These are the people that are making it their life mission to take you down, to rip you down, to discourage you, to say hurtful things to you. These kind of people, that'd be really easy to just go scrappy do on them and just go after them. Jesus is saying, hey, you've heard it said, love those that are easy to love, hate those that are your enemies, but I'm gonna flip this. And I want you to love those that hate you Pray for the ones who are trying to destroy you. That's tough. And it's one thing for Jesus to say this when things are going well on this Judean countryside. But it makes the image of the cross on Luke 23 all the more powerful. Because here Jesus was. They're yelling at him while he's hanging on the cross. If you're really the Messiah, if you're really God, then why don't you come down off that cross right now? Why don't you just show us that you're actually God? And he did previously. Miracle upon miracle upon miracle upon miracle. For three years, he did miraculous things to prove that I actually am God. But here they are saying, you're not even God. For 40 days and 40 nights before he began his ministry, he was tempted by Satan. For 40 days and 40 nights, he had no food. He was in the mercy of the conditions of the wilderness. And God, or I'm sorry, Satan comes after him and tempts him. And Jesus does not give in. Jesus spoke the truth and said exactly what God had told him to say. And what he got in return were people on the ground laughing at him, mocking him, taking his clothes right off so he's hanging up there in his undergarments to be made fun of and humiliated in front of the whole country. Jesus helped people. He spoke truth. He lived an honest life, and he was treated as the opposite, as a criminal. And with pain coursing through every single fiber of his body, slowly suffocating to death on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive him. Forgive him. And as tough as this scene is, it truly captures the heart of who God is. Because let me tell you what. Jesus His prayers were powerful. His prayers turned two little pieces of fish and five loaves, five little dinner rolls into enough food for 5,000 people to eat. And then, oh yeah, he did it again with 4,000 people, plus women and children. Jesus walked on water. Jesus did amazing, miraculous things. So his prayers were powerful, yeah. So this prayer that he's uttering to God the Father, and he's hanging on the cross of God, forgive them. Could have easily been God, rain fire down on these guys. 
because I don't deserve this. I did it right and I'm being treated as such. The human part of us that if we were being really, 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 really honest, that'd probably be us. God, I don't deserve this. Do something about it. We'd probably say things that weren't, we, we aren't supposed to say, yet Jesus is sitting here, hanging here on the cross. And what he says is, God, would you forgive those right now that are yelling at me, that are mocking me, that are making me miserable? Would you forgive them? Forgiveness is simple, but forgiveness is not easy. The idea that you need to forgive somebody is a simple concept, but actually walking it out is really difficult. But just because it's right doesn't mean we can stop when it's not easy. Full disclosure, I know there are people in this room right now that people have said things to you done things to you that are truly, truly challenging. Somebody has done something to you physically, emotionally, sexually, whatever it is that has scarred you for life. There are people in this room who choices have been made on your behalf that have impacted you for life. A choice you probably didn't want for your life. I know there are people in this room who, yes, I can even say this, but the moment I even say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you're sitting here going, I can't possibly do it for this person because of what they did to me. And I want to say something here publicly from the stage. Understandable. Okay? Things that have been done to you, I'm not saying you just forget them. I'm not just saying they just, not a big deal. But what I am saying is that forgiveness is something we need to cling on to because you cannot, until you fully forgive, you cannot be fully free. If you hold on to unforgiveness as warranted as it is, it will grow inside of your heart and create a root of bitterness that will impact many other areas of your life. Speaking from experience. Because you're sitting here and you're going, you know what? I didn't do anything. I didn't, I, I didn't deserve what they did to me. Like, that's not even fair. That's not even right. Like, I, I can't possibly forgive them because what they did has messed me up forever. And I cannot possibly forgive them. They don't deserve it. And you're right, they don't. But neither did we. And neither did the people standing at the foot of the cross yelling up at Jesus. Yet Jesus is sitting there saying, God, forgive them. I'm not saying you got to forget what's happened to you, but I am saying forgiving that person is not just the right thing to do, it's the best thing to do. Because when you forgive, truly, truly forgive, you will experience freedom and joy instead of bitterness and hatred. And do you want to know what I mean by forgiveness? Do you want to know the true mark of forgiveness? Forgiveness is wanting what's best for that person, even 
if they don't deserve it. Forgiving that person is saying, they don't deserve my forgiveness. They don't deserve for anything good to come from them, but I'm hoping that they do. I hope that there are good things as a result of this forgiveness. And it's not easy. What's easy is the reciprocation. On a lighter note, it's so funny because like it's one of these deals. I've talked about forgiveness and I've been preparing it all week and I convinced every single person on the road this week is trying to test my sermon. Because I'm driving down the road and they're cutting me off and they're, they're, I like my truck, okay? So don't just swerve into me. Even the deer themselves are trying to take me out. I, I passed 10 deer on the way here and I'm like, God, what are you doing? You're testing every ounce of my patience, every ounce of my forgiveness, but it's, it, it's so true. It's amazing how you can sit here and go, I know I need to forgive this person, but all it takes is a sliver for them to open up their mouth and go, yeah, that's why I hate you. That's why. Thank you for that. I know this is not a simple uh, this is not an easy thing to do. I know that it's so, so challenging to forgive those that have hurt us, forgive those that have altered our life. I know personally how much that's difficult. Because yes, believe it or not, I joke about everybody loving me, but guess what? There are people who really don't. There are people who don't like me. There are people who would love nothing more than to see me fall flat on my face and humiliated. If you can be, if I can be truly transparent, as I always am up here, sometimes it's really easy for me to be like, well, then, good luck to you too, brother. Because there's just that natural part of us, inside of us, that just wants justice, just wants what's right. Like, I might be small, but scrappy-doo truly is living inside of this body right here. So I want to go after people sometimes who come after me, but this verse is almost just like a blunt two by four right between the eyes going, you need to forgive. I know they don't deserve it. I know that they deserve the exact opposite, but if you forgive, you will experience freedom. You will experience joy and you will experience me. I have so many people in life who go, I just don't feel God. I don't, I, just, I don't feel that connection to God. Do you want to know how you feel God close? Try and live the life that he lived. You will never be perfect. You will never be holy. It's the whole reason that Jesus came. But there is something powerful about resisting every fiber in your body that goes, I'm going to forgive this person and when you make that leap, it is amazing what you feel in here. A peace that transcends understanding, a joy that bubbles up through all the way. And the way to do it is simple, but not easy. Here's how you do it. Romans chapter 3 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, not some, all, every person in this room, 
present company included. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, there are big things in our life going, yeah, I really should not have done that. And I, I know that that was a huge regret in my life that I did a year ago, three years ago, 20 years ago. And I know that yeah, that was a bad thing. But there's also small, subtle things. Like the Ten Commandments, one of them is don't kill, don't murder. Hopefully a lot of us in here have crossed that one off the list. And if not, come talk to me because I'd love to pray with you. But Jesus says that, hey, um, if you even look at somebody with hatred and you have anger towards them, it's as good as if you actually killed them in my eyes. Don't hate your brother or your sister. It doesn't matter if it's a big thing or a small thing. The reality is from the very beginning of creation with Adam and Eve, we as human beings have sinned. We have made mistakes. And we will continue to make mistakes because we have this thing called flesh on our bones. We, by design, sometimes will make mistakes. And the reason that we talk about Easter, the reason that Easter is such a big party is because Jesus took those sins and those mistakes that we made in the past, that we'll make in the future. He took them upon himself and he said, hey, I will take this so you don't deserve what's coming to you. Romans chapter five says basically that uh, what we deserve, if we're gonna fall short of the glory of God, if we're gonna have even a morsel of sin in our life, if we are unholy, which means means blemished, we are deserving of eternal damnation. Meaning, hell. It's harsh. Seems harsh. If you were to ask 100 people, family feud style, what do you have to do to get to heaven? The overarching, resounding concept is if there's a scale, if my good is better than my bad, I'm golden. But when you look at the Bible, the Bible is saying the standard for heaven is perfection. It's holiness. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I blew holiness out of the water a while ago. If I'm doing it on my own strength. I make mistakes. I do things I wish I didn't. We all do. So what Jesus did is he said, you know what? I'm going to live perfect. I'm going to live sinless. And I'm going to take his sin and her sin and their sin and their sin and their sin. I'm going to take all of it on me. And I'm going to nail it to the cross. And I'm going to go down to hell. And I'm going to persevere through and come back to life so that if those who believe in me will profess and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I follow Jesus. It doesn't matter if they had sin in the past. If they believe and trust in me, they will go to eternal life in heaven with me. That's the message of Easter. We're gonna talk a whole lot more with that. I gave you literally like a whole theological sermon in about like 40 seconds right there. We're gonna unpack that. I know that's a lot, especially if you're new. But here is what I'm, where I'm going with that. Forgiveness is not easy. I know it's not. But what I will tell you is it's a lot easier to forgive when you understand how much you've been forgiven. It's a lot easier to forgive somebody who wronged you when you understand how much you wronged somebody else, yet they still forgave you. The reality of the matter here is I think the church does an exceptional job of making people feel this big 
and this small. You're terrible. You're full of sin. You're the worst. But good news, even though you suck, Jesus doesn't. The reality is we sin. And the reality is that we do have our stuff. But here's what I'm going to say, everybody. The message of the cross is one of love. I have two little offspring in the front row down here. And I gotta tell you, I don't care if Dwayne the Rock Johnson grabbed those two and was off to go take them from me. All five foot nothing of me, 140 pounds soaking wet. I'm throwing myself at Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Why? They're my kids. I would do stop at nothing to go after them because I love them so, so much. There is literally nothing that could stand in my path. Yes, there'd be a billion, million things. And yes, Dwayne the Rock Johnson would bury me in the ground with one punch. But I won't stop trying because they're my kids. And Jesus was hanging on the cross. His kids were yelling at him, cursing him. Earlier in the book of John, it says all things were created through Jesus. So yes, Jesus was fully man, but he's also fully God, which means his creation was at his feet, mocking him, yelling him, They were the ones who drove the nails through each wrist. They were the ones who wanted nothing to do with him. They were the ones who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, kill him. His kids were not just disliking him, they were hating him. And what does he pray? Father, forgive them. not know what they do. I want them with me. I know they can't get there on their own. So even though they hate me right now, even though they're cussing me out, even though they're coming after me, I pray, God, that you would forgive them because I want them with me in heaven. Forgive them got to finish this so they can come up there with me. Father, forgive them. When you forgive somebody, you're living like Jesus lived. When you choose to let go of the hatred, let go of the justification, because you're right, they don't deserve it. But when you let go of that, and pray that God would bless them. And even for some of you, that's gonna be like sour on your tongue. God bless this person. When you do that, you are living like Jesus lived. And when you live like Jesus lived, you get to experience Jesus and feel him in a way you've never felt before. I know it's challenging. I know it's difficult, but I do what's amazing is the reward. I don't run because I just enjoy being in pain. I run because what you feel like afterwards is worth the difficulty to get there. It's simple, but it's not easy. And it might not be easy, but it's worthwhile.
promise you this will not be easy. This won't be a challenge that continues to resurface itself. But the matter is, in reference about what we have done to other people, the sin that we have, whether it is big or small, the debt that we owe is a lot. A lot. And Jesus forgives us. asking us to do is forgive those who have messed us up. To be clear, I'm not asking you to be buddies with them, make them cookies and drop them off and say, let's be friends now. But I am asking you. He's asking you. Would you forgive that person? Would you wish them well? pray for them because he did the same for us he did the same for us would you pray with me this morning Jesus you hung on that cross because you loved us and you wanted nothing more God than for us to know you and experience you. Jesus, yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we need to acknowledge those mistakes and understand with humility that we come before you as imperfect beings, maybe trying our best, but still being imperfect. And God, we humbly say, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us, Jesus? And you do. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter the gravity of the sin. Jesus, you forgive us because of what you paid for. That's why you hung on the cross. And with saliva coming from the mouth of those who cursed you, you looked at them and said, forgive them. And you wished them well in the midst of their hatred. Jesus, would we have that same tact to do that. Father, I know it doesn't just come natural. I know it doesn't just come easy. God, I just pray that when we walk out of this place, whether it's a phone call, whether it's an internal, just forgiving of our spirit, we might not even connect with them, not even say anything to them, but in our spirit, we're going, I'm letting go of this bitterness. I'm letting go of this root of hatred. I'm letting go of it because I want to be free. Jesus, I just pray that you would surround this room with a supernatural strength, a supernatural peace, so that we could step into this and do this, God, not of our own accord, but because we have you inside of us. Jesus, you want us to experience freedom and you want us to know how much you've forgiven us so that we could walk in that freedom every single day of our life. Yeah, we've got sin. Yeah, we've got stuff, but guess what? Jesus, you took it. You separated it from you separated our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Our sin does not define us. You define us. So Jesus, today, I pray that we'd walk out of this place ready to step into hard things, but also ready to step into them with your power and your strength. May we walk out of this place feeling joyful, feeling uplifted, knowing that you are with us, you are behind us, and you are for us in everything that's going to come our way. Jesus, we believe in you. 
we trust in you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we give God some praise this morning? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.